0: Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be as deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name. Emmanuel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, again, we're in a series leading up to Advent, uh, titled "Prepare Him Room." We're tracking with the devotional "Prepare Him Room" by Marty Mikowski, and uh, you can go to our website and learn more about that. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, uh, each of our sermons through the first uh, through uh, Advent are picking up the passage that is used in the first devotional of each week of Advent in that devotional book. So, last week, Eric started us off by looking at Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9, of course, uh, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, chapter 9, verse 2. And then jumping down to verse 6, very familiar passage. To us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called... Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we saw there that God would keep His covenant promise to rescue His people, to provide a king to graciously rule over them and protect them forever. So this week we come to another uh, very familiar passage in Isaiah chapter 7. The promise that a virgin would conceive and bear a son and call his name, Emmanuel. Now, if you were to ask any of your neighbors, any of your coworkers, anyone on the street, even those who claim no religious affiliation whatsoever, who is Emmanuel in the Bible, they would probably say Jesus is Emmanuel in the Bible. And of course, they're right. Jesus is Emmanuel. Matthew 1, Matthew tells us the birth of Jesus is the fulfillment of the Emmanuel promise. And so we rejoice. The promise was fulfilled. The baby in the manger is the very Son of God come to be with His people. Now, without wanting to sound in the least bit irreverent, so what? So what? I mean, that's always a good question to ask when you come to Scripture. If you're asking it from the uh, heart motivation of wanting to know, What this means for us today? How does this apply in our lives right now? So what does the Emmanuel promise mean for us today? Jesus came in the first century. He died and rose and ascended into heaven. He promised that there would be a second advent, that he would return, that God would be with his people forever. But what does that mean for us right now? I know we're all ready for the pandemic to be in our rearview mirror, but the fact of the matter is that both locally, I'm sorry, globally and locally, right here in Monroe County, the darkest days may be yet to come. And we are tired of hearing about it, but there is an underlying anxiety and a justifiable and understandable fear. That the darkness could invade our own homes. That, that even you know, by God's grace, treatments are improving and a vaccine is on the horizon. People still die from this thing. So, what does the Emmanuel promise mean for us today? Is God still with us? Will He help us? Well, we get a clue from the story of Ahaz. Remember, the the passage that I read began, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. All the prophets spoke in a context, a real historical context. They spoke both to their own generation and also to the generations to come. Now, now we think of the prophets speaking and what the prophecies that they gave, the things that they foretold or predicted, mean for us. But again, what they said mattered in their day as well. They were speaking to their people, as they, even as they spoke to a people, God's people, yet to come. The Emmanuel promise meant something to Ahaz, or at least it should have. And so we learn from his story something about what the Emmanuel promise means to us today. And so three things we're going to see in the text. First, The offer rejected. The offer of a sign to Ahaz, rejected. Second, the sign given, the the sign of Emmanuel that God gave. And then third, it's meaning for today. So first, the offer rejected. Second, the sign given. And then third, it's meaning for today. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, as your word is opened up before us, as we have opportunity to to be together whether it's here in this place or or gathered together um, joined by your spirit in you lord jesus our savior would you by your spirit speak to us through your word this morning and we ask this in jesus name amen so first the offer rejected and again we need to understand what's happening here in its context verse 10 again the lord spoke to ahaz there's all kinds of Old Testament history behind that that we need to grasp in order to put ourselves here in this. So, you know, let's go back to the, the founding of the nation of Israel. David was king over Israel, the twelve tribes of Israel. After David came Solomon, and, and after Solomon, around 950 BC, all kinds of dysfunction and division entered into the, the kingdom of Israel, and these twelve tribes were fractured. Ten broke off to the north and they became known as Ephraim or Israel. And two tribes remained faithful down in the southern part of the old kingdom and they became known as the kingdom of Judah. So that's you read about that in 1 Kings chapter 12. It's just a little bit of foundational history because when you read 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, and when you read in Isaiah and the other prophets, you hear them refer variously to Israel and Ephraim, which are describing the northern kingdom and Judah, or the house of David as we see here in this passage this morning, referring to the southern kingdom. And so that's 950 BC, roughly. The kingdom divides 10 tribes to the north, two tribes to the south, those two tribes remaining faithful to the house of David. Fast forward around 200 years to around 750 or 735 BC, and you have Ahaz, king of Judah, the southern kingdom, and Pekah, the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. And these two kingdoms, again, are weaker than they ever were when they were united. But even when they were united, they would not have been strong enough to, without God's help, deal with the superpower that was rising in the region, the nation or the kingdom of Assyria. And so recognizing that threat, the northern kingdom, Israel, which was closest to Assyria, formed a coalition with Syria, not Assyria, Syria, these two nations, Syria and Israel, formed an anti-Assyrian coalition. If Assyria attacks either one of us, we will come to the defense of the other. We will do our best to resist the you know, imposition of Assyria to take over our land. But the king of Syria and the king of Israel kind of looked at one another and said, you know, we could use some reinforcements. We could use a little bit more help. We, thus, you know, us two nations, probably aren't going to be enough to resist Assyria. So, you know, I don't think it quite went like this, but I can imagine Pekah, the king of Israel, saying, you know what, there's these two tribes to the south. Like, we don't really talk all that much anymore, but we do go way back. Maybe, maybe if we reach out to Ahaz, he'd be willing to join our coalition, our anti-Assyrian compact." And so they send an overture to Ahaz. Ahaz says, No, thank you. And the king of Israel and the king of Syria say, No, really? We we insist. You're going to join us. So, what they decided, Syria and Israel, they decided that they were going to actually attack Judah. They were going to overthrow Ahaz. They were going to put their own king, you know, kind of a puppet ruler, in place someone who would agree with them who would who would join this anti-assyrian compact and all the forces of Judah would be marshaled to come to the aid of Syria and Israel if Assyria would attack again that's around 735 BC you can read about that in 2nd Kings chapter 16 Ahaz hears about this Ahaz hears that Syria and Israel are going to attack. So Ahaz decides, I've got to do something to protect myself. So who does he reach out to for help? Assyria. The very nation that's ready to attack Syria and attack uh, Israel. The, the, The reason why Syria and Israel were about to invade Judah, Ahaz says, I need help, and so I'm going to reach out to Assyria for help. He's basically ready to, like he gave them money out of the treasury of David. He was was willing to sell the soul of the nation in order to have the help of Assyria. And that's where we are in Isaiah chapter 7. In the first part of Isaiah chapter 7, God sends Isaiah to say to Ahaz, listen, don't put your trust in the Assyrians. Trust me. I will keep my promises. In fact, if you go back and look at the first part of uh, Isaiah chapter 7 in verse uh, 4, God says and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. He's talking about Israel and Syria. God is saying through Isaiah to Ahaz, Syria and Israel, and israel they are like you know trees that have been burned down and all that's left are stumps that are just kind of smoldering don't don't go to assyria in order to defend yourselves against these two nations that i will protect you from there is as good as conquered already in the mind of god so ahaz trust me and then verse 10 Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. A second time he came to him and said, Ahaz, trust me, I will be with you. I will keep my promise to you and to all the house of David. I will not leave you, nor will I forsake you. I will be with you to help you, Ahaz. So that's the context of the offer. But then comes the rejection. Look at verse 11. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. So, you know, God is saying to Ahaz, just ask me for a sign. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, verse 12, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. God offers him a sign. Now, sometimes we sinfully demand a sign from God. We're saying to God, prove it. Like if you are who you say you are, Prove it to me and then I will believe. One commentator I was reading this week said, you know what, when we do that, it's like we're treating God like He's a circus animal. And if we'll perform the way that we want Him to perform, we'll give Him the little sugar lump of our faith. That is sin. And it reveals a heart of unbelief. That is not what's happening here. God's offering the sign. Ahaz isn't demanding something. God says, listen, I so want to confirm my promise to you. I so want to nurture whatever faith is in you that I'm willing to say to you, ask me anything. I will move heaven and earth in order to confirm my promise to you, Ahaz. What did Ahaz do? He rejected the sign. I will, it sounded so pious, right? You can hear it. I will not ask. And I will not put the Lord to the test. That wasn't great and noble faith on Ahaz's part. That was pride and hypocrisy and a refusal to believe. Ahaz had his plan already in place. I'll form this agreement with Assyria. I don't need God. I can do this. I've got this, God. God. Why did he do so? Why is it that he didn't want to trust God? He already had a plan. Why is it that we so often don't want to trust God? Oh, well, we've got our own plans. You know, to to say that we need God's help in the midst of crisis. You know, some of us get to a point where we really realize I do need God's help in the midst of this crisis. But how long does it often take us to get there? And why do we often so quickly resist? Paul David Tripp, in his little uh, devotional book, New Morning Mercies, on the devotional for December 4th, (laughs) he said this The reason why is because we are glory thieves. We're glory thieves. If we cry out to God in the midst of our desperation and say, God, help me. You've promised to be with your people, to save your people, to help your people, so help me. Who gets the glory when he keeps his promise and does? He gets the glory. The problem in our hearts, we want the glory. Ahaz wanted the glory for himself. And we too often want the glory for ourselves As well, God offered to move heaven and earth to confirm God's promise to Ahaz. And God will move heaven and earth to confirm his promise to us. But first, let's move on to the sign that's given. So this is in verse 13 and 14. God said, or I should say Isaiah, speaking for God, said in verse 13, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. There was significance to this sign. This sign pointed to something just like a road sign points to something a sign that says you know when you're when you're on highway 90 coming uh east there's that sign that says rochester 17 miles just past batavia right the signs that god give us they point to something they point to the fulfillment of god's promise this sign concerning a baby that would be born pointed to something both near and far, both within the context of Isaiah's lifetime, but also in our day as well. So what was it for Ahaz? Remember, God was inviting Ahaz to believe something, that he didn't need to turn to Assyria, I'm sorry, to to Assyria, yeah, he didn't need to turn to Assyria in order to find defense or help against Syria and Israel. God would be his help ahaz refused to believe rejected god's offer so god says i will give you a sign that sign found partial fulfillment in ahaz's time we know that from a verse that i didn't read the very next verse verse 15 of chapter 7 concerning the son that is born he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. And then verse 16, For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So there it is. Before this baby is old enough to discern right from wrong, those two nations will be defeated. And then you get down to chapter 8, and you read this. Isaiah again saying, The Lord said to me, Take a large tablet and write on it the common characters belonging to, here we go, Maher Hashbaz. Now jump down to verse 3. Isaiah says, and I went to the prophetess, that's referring to his wife, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. I am so glad that Abigail and Tony named their newborn son Simon. Because when I baptize Simon, I will have to say his name. So if any of you here or watching are you know, on the verge of having a baby boy, please do not name him Maher Shalal Hashbaz. That's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for him. A lot harder for, you know, for him than it's going to be for me when I have to baptize him. Anyway, moving on. Maher Shalal Hashbaz in verse um, 4 of chapter 8 for before the boy knows how to cry my father or my mother or jumping down again before he's able to discern right from wrong the wealth of Damascus which was the capital of Israel and also Syria will be carried away and so this child that was born was a type of Emmanuel kind of pointed to Emmanuel He was a sign that God was with them in that day because he did, in fact, deliver Judah from the threat of Syria and um, Israel. But he clearly wasn't the Emmanuel. There was still some fulfillment that was yet to come because this son that would be born in Isaiah chapter 7 is picked up again in Isaiah chapter 9, the son that will be mighty God. And so there is this fulfillment in an ultimate sense that that in ahaz's day was yet to come there was a partial fulfillment god is saying to ahaz i will keep my promise to you and this will be the sign isaiah picked it up and knew what it would be in that day not even isaiah knew what it would be by the time we get to the birth of christ But before we get there, can we just pause for a second and think about the implication of God offering Ahaz a sign, a promise that he would fulfill his promise, even though Ahaz refused to believe. Can we just pause there for a second? Do you realize what that means? Not even your unbelief will keep God from keeping his promise. If you are a Christian, if you are a child of God, God said, I will finish the work that I began in you. The Apostle Paul said that in Philippians 1 verse 6. All scripture is breathed out by God. And so when Paul said that, it was God saying that. God was saying, I will finish the work I started in you. That is happening even when you are struggling to believe it. O brother or sister in Christ, O child of God. When it doesn't feel as though you are God's child, when it feels as though you have been abandoned by Him, His promise, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, remains in effect whether you believe it to be true or not in that instance. God is determined to keep His promise to His people. He is determined to keep His promise to you. What that means is that when your faith is weak, not if, but when, in that moment, will you remember that the fulfillment of God's promise to be with you, to help you, is not ultimately contingent upon your ability to believe it? It rests entirely on His sovereign will to bless and to help His people. Nothing will get in the way of that, not even those times when you struggle to believe that it's true. That's good news. But again, this points to something more. This this child that's to be born to a virgin in Isaiah chapter 7 who will be called Emmanuel, that points somewhere. And now we're ready to talk about Christmas, right? Matthew chapter 1. Let me just read it for us. Now, the birth of Christ, this is verse, verse 18, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But in a dream, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means the Lord saves. All this took place, Matthew's writing now. Matthew's reflecting on what is happening. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That's Isaiah chapter 7. The Emmanuel promise is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us to save us. That is significant for the whole world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life life Jesus is God with us to save us what does that mean for us today how is Jesus with us now because he said he would be the the Emmanuel promise really is at the beginning and at the end of Matthew Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, as I just read in Matthew 1. In Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus said, I will be with you to the end of the age. I love another way that you can translate that. I will be with you every step of the way until that great and glorious day when I return. How is Jesus with us now? He ascended. He he died on the cross. He was put in the tomb. On the third day, he rose from the dead with a body that Thomas could put his finger into with, with a, a mouth and a stomach that was able to receive and digest food. He ascended into heaven. He is at the right hand of the Father in some way that is just one of the mind-blowing truths concerning Christianity. The point is, he's not here. He's there somewhere. So how is he with us now? How can it be true that God is with us to help us now? Well, God's word tells us. Jesus told his disciples, when I go away, I will send another comforter to you, another counselor, the Holy Spirit, to guide you into all the truth concerning me. And the Holy Spirit is so committed to glorifying Jesus that He, through God's word, mediates God's presence to us. Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 prays that we would know, that we would go beyond knowing, but actually experience in some way that builds upon our knowledge of Jesus' love, that we would actually experience the love of Christ. For us. This is how we experience what it means for Jesus to be with us. To help us. The the Spirit enables us to pray. Intercedes for us with groans and utterances. As Jesus is physically at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, the Spirit of Christ, which is how the Holy Spirit is... Named so often in the New Testament. Dwells within us. And helps us to pray. Oh Jesus by his spirit is very much with us. And is very much helping us. Helping us to hold on and believe to that which is true. Helping us to comprehend and understand. What is revealed to us in God's word. Helping us to abide in Christ. That we might bear much Fruit, Yes, Jesus is our Emmanuel. He is with us now by His Spirit. And so when we look at passages like we've looked at throughout the Fear Not series leading up to Advent, promises like what you see in Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah 41 verse 10 reads this way, Fear not, for I am with you. It's a manual promise. Fear not, for I am with you. With you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Or when we read in Isaiah chapter 43 when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. This is not a promise to us that we will never suffer, that we will never face hardship. It is a promise that our Emmanuel will be with us to help us through it all. God offered to move heaven and earth in order to confirm His promise to Ahaz to be with His people to save them. God has moved heaven and earth in order to confirm His promise to be with us to save us as well. Jesus was born into poverty. He lived most, most of his life in obscurity. In three years of ministry, he proved himself to be the Messiah. He died. He rose. He ascended. And he reigns. And by his Spirit, he is with you to help you every step of the way. Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us to help us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our Emmanuel, by your Spirit, you are with us to help us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving us. We thank you that by your Spirit, you gave us faith to believe. It's by grace we're saved through faith, and even that faith itself is a gift. And so we give you thanks, Lord Jesus, for dying, for rising for ascending into heaven, for pouring out your Spirit on your church, that we might know what it means for you to be our Emmanuel today. Even as we look to that great day of your second Advent when you return, and we enjoy in fullness the promise of what it means for God to be with us and us to be with you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.